So I have a quick video to transition us from our very serious talk last time to, you know, this will be a serious video and then we'll kind of go into maybe some, you know, anecdotal funny stories. But this is a video that will help you determine uh, if you have a drinking problem. So um, please just kind of listen to the video, pay attention to the three aspects here of, uh, of what they say, and then we'll go from there. Have you ever used alcohol to alter your mood or deliberately change your state of mind? Sure. Do you sometimes have a drink to celebrate a special occasion or mark a holiday? Obviously. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Where did you get this? I got it on a website. That's not important. <laughs> okay, so there you go. If you can answer those, uh, those three questions. No, um, the video is very funny. As Josie and I were talking last night, she mentioned this video, and I thought it was a perfect one to show. Uh, but I do think it, it, it uh, illustrates something that we'll talk about a little bit more today, and that's just how much misinformation there is out there and how little there are definitions for uh, appropriate drinking versus not appropriate drinking or better put today, drinking responsibly versus drinking constructively. And, um, and so that's really what I want to talk about today. As uh, Christians, drinking responsibly is not something we're supposed to do. Okay, now hold on and be careful. Uh, because drinking responsibly really means nothing, okay? It's a tagline for a lot of alcohol companies to make it seem like, you know, they really care about how you drink. Uh, we have a different standard as Christians, and that is to drink constructively. And this comes directly out of 1 Corinthians where Paul is talking about, sure, things are permissible for you, but are they beneficial? Are they constructive? Do they accomplish the gospel's purposes in our lives and in the lives of people around us? And so I want to kind of juxtapose, I want to compare and contrast this drinking responsibly, which is where you, what you see on any billboard you're going to see. Of course, it's smaller text, and the advertisements themselves may be telling you the exact opposite thing, like party all night and whatever else. There was a John Hopkins study done about a year ago uh, that just talked about how uh, all, almost every one of these slogans, they said 9 out of 10 uh, that they studied, and they studied over 100 beer, uh, wine, and liquor uh, studies, or uh, excuse me, um, advertisements, and almost 9 out of 10 had either the drink responsibly slogan, uh, some small letters, had an issue with, uh, basically, their advertisement said drink responsibly, but what the person was doing in the picture or being encouraged to do was not at all responsible drinking, and three uh, was that none of them, well, except for one, uh, had anything that would define what drinking responsibly actually meant. Okay, just sort of said it and expected that somehow you would know that. And so the whole point of this sermon is really to, to compare the ideas that, that we have in our society of drinking responsibly, whatever that means, to what we're called to as Christians, really doing things in a constructive way. My dad and I were uh, at text office yesterday. I eat text office all the time. And uh, y'all were there too? Oh. Oh, I know, but we figured out our issue. Um, yesterday, actually. That's a whole other story. Yeah, Weird how all of you know so much about my life. Um, anyway, my dad and I were there. Actually, it was on accident because uh, they advertised something that was at Roosters and on accident and put it at Textapa. So I meant to go to Roosters, but, you know, whatever. And uh, my dad, because he's crazy, was asking someone how he could get a 22 rifle with a silencer so he could kill rabbits. Um, to his credit, he has these rabbits in his backyard that are absolutely crazy. 
and he shoots him with a pellet gun, and it doesn't work. I know all of you are thinking, oh, this is so terrible, but they really ruin a lot around this property, right? So, of course, I get the guy, the bartender that I know at Tech Stops, and he's all into guns, and so he starts telling him this story about this guy that makes, you know, silencers on his own, and, I mean, my dad and him just talked while I just played around on my phone. Anyway, the guy mentioned at some point, you know, that, oh, yeah, this guy's a little bit crazy, though. He drinks, like, 12 beers a day. My dad goes, okay, so he's an alcoholic. And the guy's like, oh, no, you know, we kind of live in a day and age where, you know, I feel like you're an alcoholic if you can't handle it. And my dad's like, yeah, that's not right. And he just kind of laughs and gets up and walks away. (laughs) So I thought it was very funny. But we mentioned this last time in talking about how bartenders sometimes really blur the lines between what is and what isn't. Someone drinking 12 beers a day consistently, I think we've got a pretty good idea they have at least alcohol use disorder, if not they're a full-blown alcoholic. Uh, And yet here he is saying, well, you know, it's sort of like, you know, not that way, so long as he can handle it, whatever that means. And I really have no idea. But I thought it was very funny. In our postmodern context, it's very easy for us, and sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's not such a good thing, and I don't want to go too much into it, uh, to redefine words. We really do. We just sort of like decide that a word is now going to mean this, regardless of the past historical context of that word, and we'll just sort of redo it, okay? We, we do this a lot. We do it with memes. We do it with phrases. I can't even keep up with all the phrases. I mean, I hear them all the time from you guys. There's so many in my mind that I'm still very confused about, and I'm not going to list them because you're going to think how lame I really am. But we do this a lot, and those words can mean kind of whatever we want. Well, there's, in my mind, no better example of this uh, in regard to what we're talking about than this drink responsibly thing. Uh, which if you ask anybody what that actually means, you're going to have a tough time for them uh, trying to, uh, to actually explain or describe what this means. So let me tell you the issue, I think, with this drink responsibly um, kind of ideology. And I'm going to give you six ideas that I think, uh, or really it's seven, I really forgot I went back. I had Roman numerals, numerals one through six, and then I had a zero point that I wanted to make, but I couldn't figure out what the Roman numeral for zero is. Uh, it's a... Yeah, right. Thank you. I figured that out. Uh, but the word for it is nulla. So, no big deal, right? Nulla. So, if you want to write nulla for point zero, it's a cool word. You don't want to write it? You just want to write it? N U L L A. No? Really? Okay, Tabby, fine. You're lost. Um, so, I'm going to compare this kind of side by side. So, don't get too confused about uh, what's happening here. On the one hand, each point I'm going to make is this is the issue that I have with this a drinking responsibly language. And then uh, the second point, which we'll do sort of side by side for those full seven points, is the gospel behind drinking constructively. Okay, so let me show you kind of how this is going to work, you know, we'll we'll figure it out. So the first one, the issue that I have with drinking responsibly is it's very exploitative and it's dishonest. Okay, it's just dishonest and exploitative because it's trying to encourage you to think that beer companies, of course, have your best interest in mind or at least are concerned with you Uh, concerned about you a little bit, when in reality we know this is just dishonest advertising, false advertising. Uh, You know, beer companies get away with what cigarette companies can't even get away with. They don't even have to put a label that tells you the dangers of drinking. Some do willingly, some don't, but the point is that this is very exploitative. We talked about this last week, that the, the largest, most significant increases in alcohol use disorder is among minorities, low income individuals, and women. Okay, if you missed that, I'll probably put that Facebook uh, slide or PowerPoint, whatever thing, on the page. That way you can kind of go back through it or relook at it and ask any questions if you've got them. So it's exploitative. It's exploitative on people who are sad, down and out, 
It's exploitative financially. I mean, guys, 73 alcohol drinks. Let's just hope. Remember what we talked about 73 a week, 10% of our society? Let's just hope that's beer because if it's liquor, oh my gosh. I don't know how they have money left over for anything else, okay? But it's exploitative in a lot of different ways. This idea of drinking responsibly and, uh, and its encouragement to really, uh, you know, make you think that you're ethical when in reality you're not really doing much at all. The gospel behind drinking constructively is, guys, we're supposed to be truth-tellers. You know, whatever we do, we're supposed to be people who tell the truth about things. And a lot of us have a tendency, I think, to interpret this as, I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. But the first part of that is always ourselves being able to address the truth of the situation and what's really going on. And even more than that, and this is a weird theological idea that we won't go too far into, but uh, we will talk about it a lot next semester, is Christians are now living in a day and age that most call the already but not yet, meaning that you're sort of stuck in between, and stuck is a bad word because this is actually a good thing, the arrival of the kingdom here and all of the kingdom principles, but those kingdom principles not being realized, of course, until Jesus comes back. But this is a very, very different age than those who lived before Christ. And as such, we have access to and knowledge of truth that our uh, predecessors just simply did not have. And that kind of truth ranges from truth about salvation all the way down to truth about how we ought to live in the world and how we ought to, uh, to do uh, so simple things like interacting with drinking or other cultural norms or things like that. But we have that truth, and we are supposed to be people who talk about and tell the truth. And so the, this, this issue of being exploitative uh, which I'll talk about a little bit later on, and dishonest has no place, and it should have no place in our verbiage when we talk about things like drinking. 1 Corinthians 2 talks about the people of God having a secret knowledge that God has given us. This secret knowledge is not some arcane, oh, you know, I know secrets about how the world really works. What it comes down to, it, it's simply just wisdom about how to live. We have a wisdom, an experiential wisdom, about how to live. And I'm going to address that a little bit more uh, as we move on. The second thing is, and I think I've already made this clear, it's incredibly vague. Drink responsibly. It's very subjective. What responsible drinking for you may be, if it's 12 beers, is going to be different from me if I'm paying attention to what CDC or NIH says, uh, which is no more than four, you know, in a sitting. So it's far too subjective and vague. And it leaves too much room for what us millennials and those of you who are Generation Z are pretty good at, the I'm the exception mentality. Well, there's something specific about me, my individuality, where I'm kind of the exception, I can handle this. It's hard to remember a bartender in Denton that I've met that didn't have this kind of perspective when it came to drinking. Well, I've kind of learned how to deal with it. I've kind of, and it's really kind of two sides of the, you know, uh, speaking out of two sides of your mouth, because some people say they're really good at handling it, but then they have lots of stories of them not handling it. So it's a very strange, uh, it doesn't really work, but, uh, but somehow in their mind it does. So this vague definition I take issue with in drinking responsibility. But the gospel behind drinking constructively is we are the mirror of reality to the rest of the world, or at least should be. First, we look at ourselves in the mirror, was what James says, and allow the word to tell us the reality of our situation and who we really are. This is one of the hardest parts about being a disciple of Christ, 
is actually looking into the mirror each day and knowing who you are. Because the risk you run when you really know who you are at your deepest level is failing to to go the extra step to recognize that God has made you who you are and loves you in in the deepest parts of who you are. What our society does in, in its very just easy and simple nature to do is ignore those things about ourselves that we don't like or maybe exaggerate them in ways that you know, uh, get us what we want, but is not to actually look at ourselves in the mirror and really see the reality of who we are. But in Christ, the gospel frees us to do that, and while painful and difficult, it's good news that we actually are living based on reality and not some false identity or some made-up set of qualifications or characteristics that we're achieving or trying to uh, accomplish that aren't really uh, who we are. We can look into the mirror and be really honest. And in, and in accordance with that, we want to, as Christians, get to the bottom of things. To be honest. To get to the realities of what's actually going on. And this is one of my biggest problems, again, with this drinking responsibility. Or drinking responsibly. Because it just scratches the surface. It's vague enough to make you feel like you're doing something, when in reality it's not getting deep at all. I think about this a lot when I hear t- students talk about, well, I was just tipsy. Well, first of all, there's no definition of what that means. So you could be full-on drunk and feel tipsy because alcohol takes a while to metabolize, and now you've just justified it by not really looking into the mirror. You're looking into some fake mirror or some picture of yourself that you see. You're telling yourself it's a mirror, but really it's just you an hour ago when you weren't uh, you know, drunk. This whole word of tipsy and whatever the heck that means, which has become popularized in our society, in my mind, is just an excuse for getting drunk and then not calling it that. And does alcohol have some immediate effects? And is there a a period where there's this sort of in-between between being drunk and then having... Well, yeah, sure, there is. But if that becomes that noticeable then you've already kind of made your way into a a situation which is pretty close to, if not uh, uh, drunk entirely. So we got to be honest about these things. Uh, Another one that I hear quite a bit is that binge drinking is still moderate drinking because it's not like I'm drinking heavily each week. Binge drinking in no way counts as moderation drinking. We'll talk about this in a moment about how some studies, and the studies are really kind of strange, I'm going to explain those uh, drinking has some benefits in, in small amounts, you know, one to two, possibly one for a woman, two for a guy, um, you know, um, servings a day. But as soon as you binge drink even one time, it's like sunburn, okay? This is, has immediate effects. This, these effects don't just go away. And one of the real big problems with some of the studies that even say that alcohol has beneficial consequences or, or you know, has beneficial Uh, aspects to it is that a lot of times in the studies they're comparing people who don't drink at all to people who do and a huge portion of those people who don't drink at one point in their life drank and maybe drank a lot and that's going to completely mess up some of the statistics on uh, whether drinking is actually good for you or not some of you look at me quizzical does that make sense or not really if you were to compare people who never drink okay and ever to people who do, and no, no big studies uh, uh, at this time are sort of available for that, I think you're going to find that alcohol uh, at its best uh, is going to have incredibly minimal, if not no health advantages for us. And so uh, that whole way of thinking, I think, is, uh, is 
not so much being able to look into the mirror of reality. The third thing for me in terms of my issue with the drink responsibility uh, is just that it's worldly. And what I mean by worldly, I want to harken back to a sermon that I preached probably two, three weeks ago now that talked about the two uh, faces of worldliness. On the one hand, it's the I do whatever I want, kind of freedom, no rules. And on the other hand is everything's a rule, I can do this on my own, and I just sort of need to live by rules. And the scripture really talks about worldliness in both of these extremes. Okay? And I think this is what happens a lot in the conversation about drinking responsibly. Well, it's my freedom to be able to drink. No one should tell me not to do that. Okay? This is what Paul's addressing when he talks about this, uh, you know, sexuality and sexual morality in 1 Corinthians. Or... You know, I just live by the rule, no drinking entirely, and that's sort of, you know, uh, how I'm dealing with it. Well, in my mind, both of these philosophies are somewhat worldly. Because, again, they go back to not a reliance on the wisdom that God gives us, but on either emphasizing our freedoms or emphasizing the rules that we've placed on ourselves, both of which are pretty uh, uh, myself-focused. I'm the center and I'm the focus here. They have an appearance of kind of being about others, you know? Well, freedoms, well, I really want freedoms for others, but let's be honest, I'm really most concerned about my freedoms. And, well, yeah, rules should be placed on others, you know, too, but I'm really more concerned about what rules I have, you know, I live by and I've accomplished. And so in that sense, it's very worldly. But we don't live, you know, in this kind of, uh, you know, extremes of either these freedoms or, uh, or rules. We live on mission. And our mission has everything to do with setting up a value system that's in line with kingdom values. And, but you see, even in our society, this has kind of gotten to the point where this is, we sort of live between the two worlds. Rules and freedoms. These are my freedoms. This is what I'm, how our society is structured. And here are the rules. And I'm going to go between the two. But how do you legislate anything that's positive in terms of a value system? You don't, right? It sort of comes second nature, right? But on the, in my mind, rules and values or rules and, uh, and freedoms don't ultimately uh, you know, translate into some value system. Values just sort of come as a result. They're not really well thought out, and I'll talk about this in a moment. So the gospel behind drinking constructively is that we're on mission, we become anything to anyone, which is really what our mission is. It's is about putting other people first so as to, to introduce and encourage as many people as possible to get to know God and to choose him. And so when we're on mission, the question that always comes up in my mind in terms of drinking is, is if you can't handle it and it's obvious you can't handle it, why risk it? Paul talks about a military person getting involved in civilian affairs. Why, when you're on this mission, would you start to care about all this stuff that seems much less significant? Uh, this is one of the hardest things for people who have PTSD, is when they come back to, uh, you know, United States, everything just, people's problems just seem so insignificant to them. Here they're dealing with some of the worst things that you can see, and then they come back here, and it's just like the world is like, what, how could people be worried about this kind of stuff? Well, I'm using that negative example as a positive illustration is when we are on mission with God, a lot of this other stuff, and particularly these rules and freedom stuff, just kind of falls behind and isn't near as important. And when we make it important, we get off task. 
We forget that we are uh, supposed to be anything to anyone. So if I've got people around me who are, have you know, issues with drinking, I don't ever talk about drinking. I'm not going to drink around them. I'm not going to mention it. I'm not going to have alcohol anywhere near them. I'm just simply not. It's not going to be one of those, what's well, my freedom and my right to do this, and they're going to have to just deal with it. It's just not going to do it. It's, just, what, it's not worth it at all. My partner in business is an ex-alcoholic. And um, I freaked out the other day when we had a Budweiser can in our trash can, which I found out was my idiot neighbor who put it in there, because we just don't do any of that around the shop. But I asked him very clearly up front, like, hey, man, it's been about 15 years. You've been, you know, did something happen? Is something gone? He's like, no, no, I was wondering about that. If that was you? And I'm like, no, you know me. That's definitely not mine. Um, but that's what I'm talking about. We become anything to anyone. And sometimes that means absolutely not drinking, but there's also cases where that means, and I think this is where things get quite a bit more tricky, learning how to, and I'll use this example in a moment, uh, be an example of wisdom when it comes to drinking around people. Because if someone doesn't have a problem with it, then erring on the side of not drinking at all I don't think is necessary, but it is necessary to mirror good drinking practices. Uh, at bars with bartenders, it, I talk about a lot in my experience because I, I, I frequent them. I'm just being honest. Uh, a lot of bartenders really are alcoholics. Josie and I uh, had one last night who uh, proved herself as uh, very much an alcoholic for the second or third time. Um, and I'm glad you were there, Chelsea, because otherwise it would have been even more awkward. Um, but what does it look like for us when we're in an environment where you're at a bar or something like that to drink responsibly? And how much more so when someone sees you as someone not drinking responsibly, does that simply just encourage their behavior and what they do? You can connect over that. One of the things that's very clear about the bartenders that I interact with is we talk a lot about drinking issues. There's no bartender that I interact with that we don't talk about their own drinking issues. And where I encourage them um, and talk to them as best as I can about, you know, uh, you know, drinking and things like that. Now, when you meet one last night who's already gone, it's not, not possible. But thankfully, when they're at work, usually pretty, pretty on, on key, they're good to go. Um, but what does that look like, being anything to everyone? Okay? Um, I mean, you know, just this week, and I know this sounds like a really strange example, but I've noticed a lot of bartenders in my experience are pretty smart people, at least the bars that I go to, um, because they're managers in a place they're, uh, they have, they're pretty high-functioning adults. I mean, some of them have, again, bad alcohol problems, but most of the bartenders in this area have college degrees, and they're in the process of switching a degree, and so they're at a really fragile time in their life, which sometimes even spurs on some of that. Um, and being able to talk about that with them, encourage them. I had one girl this last week uh, who made a, an excellent drink. I mean, it was an amazing drink. And I made sure it was her drink on the menu. I know that sounds really, really strange and probably weird, but it was really important for me that I made it clear to both her and the other bartenders that this was in one of the best drinks I've ever had. It was really good. She had a really, really good job of mixing all the flavors together. And, uh, and, and I mean, it was just a really, really good drink. But anything to anyone, I think, can sometimes apply to those things. Using alcohol for good uh, if you're going to drink and, uh, and certainly not, uh, not backing off from that. But again, there are some obvious lines that, that you have to be careful with. The issue of drinking responsibly. The, fourth, the third thing here, or fourth thing, I'm getting confused on my notes here, and I think some of this is super overlapping. It's, it's just not helpful. 
there's not a real strong focus on preventing uh, getting into a situation where it's, it's gone too far. There's just not. It's just drinking responsibly doesn't tell you how to go in and think through, okay, how much should I drink in this situation? It's just not preventative. And one of the real problems with, I think, our culture and the way we think about things being bad is they're usually not bad until the outcome is bad. We're just not very preventative in our thinking about a lot of things. Whether that's healthcare, drinking, whatever, it's bad when it turns out bad. So if I've been driving drunk for five years now, it's fine so long as I haven't gotten a DUI. So long as I haven't, you know, injured someone. That's the kind of mentality I think I hear a lot, uh, at least from uh, some of the folks that I interact with. That this drinking responsibly thing is not helpful at all. Uh, It doesn't help us prevent or think about things. It's simply just, uh, um, as long as it doesn't turn out bad, it's somehow okay. And of course, that's just playing with fire. But the gospel behind drinking constructively is always living as an example of wisdom for the people around us. It's not just telling people wisdom. It's living as an example of wisdom for the people around us. That's what we ultimately get in Jesus. It's finally an example of wisdom that we can follow that we can actually look at and say, here's how we ought to live life. Here's how we ought to think about the world around us. And so with drinking, we should always be living as an example of wise living. And if there's anything questionable, then it's just not going to be wise to do, or we have questions about whether it's not wise. We ought just not do it. Simple as that. We've got to live in accordance with examples of wisdom because we're living that life out, the already but not yet. As I mentioned already before, our rules and freedoms don't teach us values often. God teaches us values through the Holy Spirit. So our society and its freedoms and rules, you know, the values that we talk about, they're just not taught to us. Uh, We just get them. We receive them, but we've never really thought about them very much. Um, And I think that uh, that's very different in how the kingdom works. The kingdom starts with the values in the example that Jesus gives us. These are positive instructions for how to live. Not, not low standards for how to live, uh, as we'll talk about in just a moment. So there's a huge issue. It, my, my favorite passage, I quote this all the time in regard to wisdom, is Jesus simply saying, wisdom is proved right by her children, or wisdom is proved right by your actions. There is no possible way that you can live wisely and your actions not line up with that. Speaking wisely is not a thing. Okay? It's just not a thing. It's not possible. You live wisely. You don't speak wisely. The scripture is about an example of life that other people can imitate. And you can talk all day long and the do as I say, not as I do, uh, won't work because people catch those things, right? So, uh, this one might kind of sound weird to you, but I like it, so I'm going with it. The fourth thing is it's just anti-science. Drinking responsibly is just anti-science. No one is putting up some like, scientists tell us it's very obvious that there's no way you're going to process this amount of alcohol in one hour, so don't do it. It's just anti-science. And I know Christians have a really weird relationship with science sometimes, or at least that's what we would popularize. But come on, most of us, we've gone to school, we've done, committed our lives to different scientific pursuits. I mean, pure science, or at least you know, I'm just going to use that word, not overly speculative science, let's just say that, 
uh, is, according to the early church fathers, the second book of God. That's just God's world explained to us as humans have tried to understand it. And so, uh, you know, we, we certainly don't want to, uh, uh, to mess around with that. It reminds me of that whole, remember we did that weird activity not too long ago where you went out and like found bugs and stuff? Um, Grant's laughing because I think it was his idea, but I don't know. It was great, and I really loved it too, but you know, whenever I go out in nature, it, this thing always comes to my mind, and that's how, how both devastating and wonderful nature is. Because the intelligent design movement, I think, incorrectly tried to focus us on how life is only good and significant, and yet you can't possibly understand nature without understanding the just sheer wrath that, that is, is there in nature. And alcohol is a wonderful example of both, I think, an amazing thing, I mean, guys, uh, and I don't want to get too snobbish here, but to taste an 18-year-old scotch that has unbelievable complexity and, like, more notes than you would ever find in coffee is unreal. Now, I don't taste that very often because it's like a $24 a shot, all right? It's like, so that's some expensive stuff. That was snobbish, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, nature has this sort of dual nature to it. And, and this is, I think, really challenging for people who really study science is, yeah, there's some great things, but there are some really devastating things. And alcohol is very much one of those things. I mean, think about it, guys. I'm, I'm just going to go back to this again because I'm really thinking about scotch now. Um, it's been sitting in a barrel for 18 years. And somehow it's better than when it began? That's crazy. Nothing else is like that except for, like, wine. Okay, anyway. Um, but I'm not for sure. I'm not a real wine drinker. I think wine's fake, so uh, that's just my, uh, my two cents there. Um, but that, there's something really amazing about that. The taste, the, the flavors, the things that can really go into uh, you know, this versus, like, I don't know, drinking Jim Beam. It tastes like you know, someone peed in a, a bottle and then called it whiskey. Um, oh, sorry. I didn't mean to offend any of you who have lower tastes. I guess that's okay as well. <laughs> Uh, so, the word moderation, right? The word moderation is a very scientific word. So, please do not use mo- the word moderation if you are not a moderate drinker, okay? <laughs> don't be anti-science. Please don't convince yourself that you're somehow a moderate drinker when you binge drink or drink heavily in a week. You are not. You are a not moderate drinker. You are a heavy drinker. So, the quicker you can recognize that, understand it, the better off you'll be for dealing with it, okay? So, don't be anti-science. No, no, no. So two more. I know this is a little bit, it uh, seems like a struggle. I don't know why. I, I really like this, but some of you are thinking, feeling that this is overwhelming or maybe boring or all of the above. Uh, so the fifth one here is this drinking responsibly thing lowers our standards to minimums. Uh, because if we can just use a word that seems like the minimum level of ethical behavior, responsible, which in essence means nothing, we lower our standards to minimums. Nobody ever accomplished anything great from trying a little. <laughs> like, I really want to see that maybe somewhere in one of those like posters when you're, you know, maybe at the dentist office or something. You know, to accomplish something great, just try a little. Uh, I think that's a pretty good. One. All right, guys. God came to give us life and life to the full. And the irony and the biggest lie of Satan in all of this is that somehow people have thought of drinking irresponsibly as living life to the fullest. Satan is a a very smart creature if he can convince us that the opposite of things are, are, are really true. And that's what he's done when it comes to drinking. 
that somehow in drinking, that's life to the fullest. That you go to a bar and you see a whole lot of people living their fullest life by not, not drinking responsibly. And certainly not drinking constructively. But, you know, God came, uh, or Jesus came to give us life and life to the full. He makes that very clear. Whether we're talking about alcohol from the perspective of health or the complexity behind it, alcohol can be really good. It tastes really good. It's great. It can be mixed. It can be compared. It's really brilliant. Um, I don't know anything about beer or wine, so I can't tell the difference, but some of you who are into the craft beer scene, the difference between, like, good beer and not good beer is pretty big, okay? Um, and, uh, and that's, that's pretty interesting. That's, that's good. Someone spent a lot of time working on this, and, and, and they, they looked through it scientifically, and they're not just some mass-producing, you know, uh, place that just shoots one after another so as to give as many as they possibly can out. Um, this is pretty cool stuff. One of the things I've heard that I'm still kind of up in the air about, and I don't know what to think about this. Uh, we did a small group book last spring, maybe? I don't know. That talked about, um, you know, uh, fall. Okay, that talked about drinking as an opportunity to converse with people, and that a lot of great, deep theological conversations came as a result of drinking. Now, let me let me just say two things. On the one hand, I understand that you have one. I mean, you know, one sip of whiskey. If you treat it right and it's good whiskey, it could be an hour, hour and a half for one ounce shot for you to taste. I mean, it's just slow. It's the same thing with the good beer. Um, or wine, or whatever else. If it's really tasting good, and it's something that ought to be experienced, it's exactly like food. Who wants to just rush through food if it tastes really good? You know? Um, I don't. I mean, you know, you go slow. About the only time I eat slow is when I'm eating really, really good food. And is it okay for us, me to have a conversation in the midst of that that's, you know, celebrates the, you know, brilliance of this thing, that nothing else tastes like that, any more than it is when I'm having a conversation over good food, fine. But when the problem becomes you can only have good conversations, when you're tipsy, that's a problem because you're not having a good conversation usually. Uh, a lot of you went back, not a lot of you, I'm sorry, but at least a few of my roommates, and watched that It's Always Sunny episode where they're like, you know, uh, going in, you know, high school thing. But yeah, you're not, you're not understanding how this ought to work. When alcohol becomes something that you have to have, or even I think the, the dangerous idea of lowering your inhibitions, if the alcohol itself and its chemical content is helping you have better conversations, and it's not the enjoyment of it, that's a problem, okay? And lowering social inhibitions can be helpful for some people, but you have to be very, very careful with that because there's other ways to do that, and you shouldn't need to be drinking um, to, to do that. That's not good. No, 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 no bueno. No good. Last one, the sixth one here, and so I'll keep from boring you all since, I mean, I've, I, it, I, it's been a long time since I've put so many people asleep uh, in a sermon, so, uh, sorry, you apparently think alcohol is boring. Uh, the last one, and I think probably the one that I want you to hear, uh, if you don't hear anything else, is, is, you know, the whole drink responsibly is really not at all lovingly protective for people. You know, the goal is not at all trying to protect people. Um, or be loving. And, you know, the, the gospel behind drinking constructively is love always protects. It's 1 Corinthians 13. Especially the weak. Especially the weak. It's such good news that our God is so concerned with the weak. Because if he wasn't, we'd have to question the character of our God. But we don't. The fact that throughout the scripture, what makes him most mad is that when the weak suffer is a huge testimony to the God that we serve. And that's good news. 
And scriptures that we'll talk about next time quite a bit is 1 Corinthians 13, Romans 14, and 1 Corinthians 8, which talk about this idea, uh, which is often brought up when you talk about alcohol, of, you know, the stumbling brother or causing, you know, an obstacle in, in the way or not paying attention to someone's, um, you know, infirmity or the way that they think about the world and in doing so destroying them. And so we'll talk about that. But, but love always protects. Some of us, when it comes to alcohol, need to speak up more about the people around us. You know, and I'm not for sure where I'm at with the whole designated driver thing because I think that, that can get tricky because you can be an accessory to that kind of behavior if you're not careful. When you get called last minute, certainly when we used to have safe ride, I think it was a service we were doing. But I think you really have to be careful, particularly if it's people you know and have a relationship with. Like, that, that's, that can be very easily seen as approving of their behavior and allowing it to happen. And that is not protecting them or loving them at all. And for those of you who have let it go on right in front of you without paying attention, that's absolutely not loving or protecting. And the idea that you're going to be there in presence or in bodily form so as to help them or at least watch over them is not helping. You're doing more damage than you are helping. Okay? So some of us need to speak up. When it comes to the people around us asking questions. And at the same time, some of us need to shut up, okay, about how much we approve of alcohol around people who may really struggle and have a, a difficulty with it. So it goes both ways. You know, this is where wisdom comes in. There's no rules for this stuff. We've got to be really careful about the things that we approve of uh, in response to people in our church that may be secretly struggling uh, or maybe don't even know that they're struggling. And certainly we want to be uh, open uh, and available for anybody who, uh, who may think that they have an issue with this or just wants to kind of question it. I think one of the things that's really hard, as you saw from last week, is some people just kind of don't know. They see someone's behavior and they think, I don't know if they were drunk. I didn't watch them drink four drinks. They're acting a little bit strange, but maybe they had too much coffee. Maybe they're like exhausted. I think we've got to be really careful on the other end of not accusing people of being drunk because they, we saw them with one drink in their hand and then, you know, we're thinking, oh my gosh, they're drinking and getting drunk all the time. It's like, no, all you actually saw was one drink. So let's be really careful that we don't go to the other side of things and start getting, you know, too crazy about, oh my gosh, everybody is drinking so much. But we've got to be very honest with ourselves and we've got to trust the body in hearing and making sure that we ask good questions. Like, hey, how many is that for you? Uh, over what period of time? Get your BAC calculator out and be like, okay, no, you're, you're bad. Stop that. Um, but seriously, uh, this has got to be something that we, uh, we care enough about each other and, uh, and we're loving enough um, to be able to, to stand up for. You saw the kind of things last week uh, that, that went into just the, the sad and kind of stark statistics of what drinking can do. It takes one person stopping, stepping up to love someone enough to say, this is not okay. And yeah, it's embarrassing, and it's no good, but it's absolutely what God does for us. And so we, as his people, do it for each other to, to reflect the character that he has. That he is a God that speaks up. And sometimes his speaking up comes across as pretty wrathful and angry, uh, but in really is in our best interest, always. And it's loving us and taking care of the people around us who may be uh, hurt by some of the behavior that we're exhibiting. And so we've got we've to be able to protect each other. Any questions? I just wanted to end with questions. I always have 
um, people come up and talk to me after, oh, you should have said this, you should have said that, and I'm like, okay, well, actually, you should have said that, or you should have asked it, because, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm, believe it or not, I'm uh, not exhaustive in my ability to talk about this topic up here. So do you have any questions or thoughts or comments, maybe two or three minutes before uh, we break for communion? I'm sorry I apparently bored you all so much with that, uh, that sermon. Don't look at me like that. I've see, literally seen people fall asleep. Oh, you want me to list? It'd be like 10 people. Bad lady. Questions, comments, thoughts related to what we're talking about? Yeah, Ben. Okay. 18 years. You want to eat some nasty 18-year pickle, pickle pickles? Really? They really would be good? Okay, cool. Good. Yeah. Uh, I would also say probably McDonald's burgers are just as good 18 years later. What's up? What's up? Yeah. That was good, right? That was good. Um, uh, no, no, I said just as good, you know, so, you know, whatever, that's just as good. Uh, okay, any real questions or comments? It's Ben. Jerk. No? God, thank you so much for uh, your forgiveness for us uh, when, uh, when we just seriously fall short, for whatever reason it is. But God, I thank you so much uh, for just how much you give us life and uh, you give us the wisdom uh, that has been hidden from the beginning of time uh, to live lives as an example to those around us. Help us to never take that for granted, to allow uh, that to inflate our own ego or pride, but to remember that in our examples of wisdom, we simply communicate how good a God you really are. Help us to take serious this issue with drinking and, uh, and help us to um, be honest with where we're at, uh, with other people, and to really be concerned, enough to be able to speak, um, to protect, um, and to live lives that, uh, that are really wise before you, God. We love you. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.